Well, uh, good morning. It's uh, lovely to be here and preaching this morning. Let's uh, pray as we approach this passage. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the grace that was given to your holy apostles to write down the scriptures, that we might understand your ways. And pray that today that you will reveal your scriptures to us for your glory and for your name's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have to say, this is one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible. It's one I've looked at many times over. Uh, and it's because it promises uh, an elusive goal. And you see the elusive goal in verses 14 to 16. It's, it's highlighted before you even get there in verse 13, the sense that we might uh, attain the whole measure of the fullness of God and become mature. Uh, and then there's this very graphic image of the church no longer being infants, no longer being tossed back and forth by waves, no longer being blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people, and instead growing and speaking in love, and and this mature picture of a church just operating as it could and should do. It's, It's a glorious picture. And in a week where politically the whole nation's been in turmoil, perhaps the whole continent in turmoil, it's a sort of countercultural picture of a group of people operating together in a way that they could and should. And you think, well, how do we get there? And that's where the passage is even better, because it explains very clearly how you get uh, to verse 14, 16. And it begins with Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 7, to each one of us grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. In other words, there's Jesus giving out presents, gifts, graces. And what will these graces do? Uh, Verse 12, these graces will equip people for works of service. And and what unity means everyone gets built up, the body of Christ gets built up until we reach unity of faith. So Jesus initiates it. Uh, people uh, minister, and then everyone gets involved in serving. And when everyone's involved in serving, that leads to this incredible picture of maturity. And, of course, the reality down the years and in different contexts and places are uh, that any group of people you stick together in a room uh, doesn't always work like that, if you don't believe me. Um, have an ear in the 1922 committee on Tuesday when they meet in the Houses of Parliament. Even when they've got such a clearly defined sense of common purposes, you bung a group of people together. It's very hard for them to operate efficiently or cleverly. It's why management consultants make as much money as they do, going in on businesses and trying to sort them out in a certain direction. It's why we have so many people in middle management and other staffing structures in order to try and sort of cajole us in the same direction. But Paul's saying that in the church, when Jesus is the source and the head and distributing things in the right way, this sort of thing can happen, but it won't happen without effort. Do you remember last week in the first few verses of this chapter, there's this sense of having to put a lot of effort into this. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Be completely humble and patient. 
bear with one another in love. It, it has that sense that if you're going to get on with each other, it's going to take a lot of effort. Bearing with someone is not what you put on your uh, Christmas cards. You know, it's not like, uh, happy Christmas, um, I've been delighted to bear with you this year in love. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be too excited by it, but actually that's the nature of the effort that it often takes for people to get on with each other. And of course, the, the opposite of that is just going your own way in a silo. He's difficult, she's difficult, so therefore we will divide away from each other and we will just operate with those that we find easy and, uh, and congenial to get on with. So we, we're told we need to make an effort, every effort, verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And the reason behind that is verses 4 to 6. There is only one God, therefore there's only one church, uh, one Spirit, one baptism, and one Father over all of us. So there is one big picture. And there's this incredible Jesus who's trying to make it happen. So let's ask ourselves a big question. Why? What's the point? What's the point of this united church? What's the point of bringing together diverse people and then growing together in love? What, what does it achieve? <laughs> Faye's calling out the answer. Well, when, when you look into the New Testament, you get different images, don't you, of the church. Sometimes it's the bride of Christ. Sometimes it's an army of God. Sometimes it's the people of God. Sometimes it's a building coming together. But probably the, the thing that is the biggest trajectory of all is the object of God's love. The object of God's love. We saw that in chapter 3. And he says, I want you to understand the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God. In, in other words, there was something that God just wanted to lavish his love onto. Who could reciprocate his love to him. And, and so he had this experiment of humanity. But humanity refused God again and again. So he particularized into one person, the person of Abraham, and said, I'm going to lavish my love on you. And then particularized into one of his sons and into one of his grandchildren until he had the people of Israel. And he said, look, let's do an experiment just with a few people, just with one people group and see if I lavish my love and blessings on you, whether you'll be able to love me back. And of course, if you read through the Old Testament, the story is that they behave, as Hosea says, like an adulterous wife. The people of God keep going away and away from him, so much so in the book of Hosea, it's like they're paying to have sex with other people. They're paying to prostitute themselves. And our nature as humans is always to turn away from God, but God wanted to lavish his love on a people. And so then he sends Jesus, and there's a cryptic allusion to this in verses 8. It's a quote from Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 is talking about that time when the people of God have been going away from him, and they've been vanquished by their enemies, and it says God arises so his enemies are scattered. He puts the fatherless back with the fathers. And then in Psalm 68 it says he ascends on high up, up the holy mountain and takes many captives and, get this, and gains, gets gifts from his people. Gets gifts from his people. But when Paul's looking at here in Ephesians, he's like, 
I'm not sure that's the best translation. Because although there's a sense that we want God to sort of conquer, destroy his enemies, gather around him a perfected holy people, and then make the enemies bring gifts to him, actually the nature of the God that I've experienced, who's lavished the breadth and width and height of love on me, is such that I've realized that it's not that God's desperate for my gifts to him, but God's desperate to give his gifts to us. It's really the revelation of Jesus. You you might not even be able to translate it right before hearing about Jesus. Because why shouldn't we give gifts to the creator of the world? Why shouldn't we pay homage to the creator of the world? Why shouldn't we come and make our, our sacrifices and offerings to him? The idea that he might want to give us gifts is revolutionary. So Jesus ascends on high and he gives gifts to his people, extraordinary grace gifts. And what does he give? He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What are these five people groups for? They're there to equip the whole of God's people for works of service. Why? So the body of Christ may be built up. Why? So we can reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and in faith and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God and then we won't be infants and so forth. He wants to perfect us. He wants to make us whole. And the way that he does it is he gives gifts out. He doesn't just come and grab a Mark Jarvis and say, you're 95% of the way, Mark, we're just going to divinely download an extra 5% in you to make you mature. Or Richard and say, you're 20% of the way there, I'll give you the 80% download. He sends us people, different people. Apostles, the sort of missionary calling, the ones who get things going. The prophets who have a particular ear to God and can speak forth his word even when it's uncomfortable. The evangelists who are great at calling people into the church. The pastors who are great at holding them and loving them. And the teachers who will speak God's word in love faithfully. And you see in verses 17 onwards, the sort of thing that teachers have to say. It's not comfortable words. It's not easy words. It's things like, no longer live as the Gentiles do. Uh, They're darkened. This is not how you should live. Get rid of your old self. It's being corrupted. Put on the new self. These aren't people here to give us a sort of spiritual loving, to make us feel happy. They're people who understand that our tendency as humans is to walk away from God. And if we're going to do the sort of service works that will bring us into this truthful maturity, we need to be called back again and again. So who are these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Well, within the charismatic churches, uh, it's common to say that all of us are these because verse 7 says that to each one grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Um, the text doesn't support this in any way whatsoever, but it's a nice, neat, neat theory. And there's probably an element of truth in it, that all of us will have some of the characteristics of pastoral or evangelist or prophetic or teaching or that sort of initiating uh, sacrificial leadership of the apostle who are characterized by miracles and by healings above all things. 
All of us probably can identify with one of these more than another. But there is this sense that Christ releases these gifts, not so that these gifts shine, or that these gifts are seen as most important in any way, but to equip his people for what is the most important thing. And the most important thing is the works of service in the passage, if you just look through the way the words work. And it's as all of God's people do the works of service with the gifts that they've been given, that maturity happens. So you may say, well, you know, I'm not an apostle. God's not sent me to plant a church movement somewhere. What of me? Or I'm not a teacher, or I'm not really a pastor or an evangelist. So I I might be the sort of person who puts up the 175 uh, sign outside the window and does the practical DIY. I might be the musician. I might be the person at work in a city through the week trying to bring the kingdom of God in my workplace. I may be an encourager. I may be a giver of helps. I may be someone who takes the load off uh, those with these particular gifts. Uh, But whatever I've been called to do, it is quite clear that the works of services I've been called to do are crucial so that the whole body of Christ can be built up. Who are the important people in this passage? Well, Jesus, and then everyone, and then everyone, because it's only as we all do the works that we're called to that we can be built up. So why does he mention these five different uh, gifts in this passage? It's the only passage where these five are solely mentioned. Other passages have other lists of people. Well, I think... We shouldn't underestimate uh, some, some of the importance of these. Apostles and prophets in another passage are, are considered to be the foundation pieces of the church. Sometimes they would have been the itinerant people going around, getting things started. Uh, a little like an apostolic team rocking up in a place going, this is what should happen. People maybe who have that sort of bird's eye view, they can see 10, 15, 20 years down the line and go, We need to head that direction. Graham Tomlin wrote a wonderful piece in yesterday's Times about the political context that we're in at the moment. And he was saying that one of our our key problems as a society right now is that we have very little sense of anything beyond the immediate. I don't know if you read the article. It's brilliant, well worth looking at. With very little sense beyond the immediate right now. So we get sucked into things like Brexit and and other things, and it feels all-consuming because we've forgotten that there's a whole world out there that we can't see in which the context of our nowness exists. And in other ages where there was more awareness of the spiritual and the eternal, we weren't so sucked in. So one of the roles of uh, the apostles, the uh, Graham's uh, bishop, one of the roles of those people is to say, look up. And look beyond, and in communion, Kelvin's chosen the chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. We always need the people who will say to us, look, there's a bigger horizon out there. It might look like everything's falling apart because you've got this diagnosis, or jobs going this way, or families going this way, or life in your country's going this way, but actually there's a bigger horizon out there. Look beyond the immediate. And then we also have the people who perhaps are, are very much focused in the local area. 
Uh, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the people who just in the day to day will grow and gather God's kingdom. They're very, very important. And frankly, you may be some or all, or all of these things. You may be them on a small level, you may be them on a big level. But these roles are very important. The person who can say, come and see, or look what God's done in my life, or uh, what were you doing yesterday when you turn up at work and you go, well, actually, um, I had this amazing conversation with someone after church. I didn't know you went to church. What, what was so amazing about your conversation? Well, they were, they were just saying that life was hard for them at the moment, so I said, could I pray for you? And I prayed for them, and they said, oh, I've never felt what happened to me when you prayed for me just now. Um, and you say, oh, well, what did you do? I did nothing much. I just put a hand on their shoulder and said, come Holy Spirit. And God did something for them. Like, whoa, that's amazing. Um, what, what did God do for them? Well, he just blessed them and they were in floods of tears. It's like, well, you made someone cry. They was, it, was, it was God. But afterwards they said they'd never felt such peace and, and joy. And you can see how just by being open about who you are, the pastoral prayer that you gave on Sunday, repeated on Monday, expands God's kingdom and grows it. And this whole sort of trajectory of, of I can do this with Jesus because it's his gifts means that we grow in unity and faith and maturity and so forth. The reason I hold back though from sort of making these all-encompassing gifts as, as others probably more schooled and learned than me have done is it, it strikes me when you read through the New Testament that the New Testament values people with hidden gifts as much as the public gifts and so the early days in the book of Acts you get the apostles running around doing a whole load of social work the, the apostles in the church are also trying to run the equivalent of the meeting place cafe at the same time uh, and the homeless project at the same time and the widow's outreach project at the same time and quickly someone goes along and says look you can't manage all these jobs it's impossible you need someone looking after your sort of facilities your operations you need someone who will just take it off you so you're not thinking about it anymore because your job is to preach the gospel so we need to just get you guys Peter and John and James just totally released to focus on preaching the gospel because running an institution isn't going to work very well for you and so they set up a school of deacons now as it turns out the deacons all were full of the holy spirit and wisdom they weren't like weak christians in any sense who could only do operational sort of stuff they, they were people who were great evangelists and great pastors and passionate for god and yet their role was to just make sure the apostles didn't have to think about all that other stuff and the New Testament as a whole, I think, celebrates those roles uh, as much, if not more, than those with the public roles. It's one of the reasons when you read the Gospels, the disciples come out so badly again and again. The disciples were the voices behind the authors of the Gospels, and they made sure that you knew there wasn't anything super special about them. So it's not that if you can tick off and go, yeah, on the gift survey that I'll put out on Facebook later, I score high on apostles and prophet and lower on pastor, lower on evangelist. What about me? What's my role? Because actually it may be that you're called to the hidden roles, which make the whole thing work. The verse 12, the works of service 
that enable us to be built up until we reach unity in the faith. One of the problems politically at the moment, I guess, I don't know, but I guess is that there are about 20 people who are quite like a higher seat at the table, or the higher seat at the table, and there's about 200 people who would like a higher seat at the table, all at the same time. And what Paul's saying here, what the scripture's saying here, what the gospel's saying, is aim for the lower seats. And as you aim for the lower seats and serve each other, we'll get an incredible unity. As your verse 2, completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in our love, making effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, knowing that there's only one body that counts, his body, then the impossible is possible. A group of diverse people come together and instead of being tossed around as infants, they become incredibly mature, growing into him, the head, which is Christ. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.